podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you're always searching for your next great adventure or seeking answers to complex questions, if you think of yourself as someone who takes charge, is there for others, breaks down barriers, or sees the world for what it can be, then you're just what we're looking for. CIA is searching for women of all skill sets with these traits and others to join the Directorate of Operations and help protect our nation. Visit CIA.gov careers. See yourself here. Celtic State of Mind. It is Friday afternoon. My name is Laura Bradburn and I am joined in something that's becoming a bit of a habit. I'm joined by Brian Degnan. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, um, I'm down south now in the sun, splitting the trees. So um, I, if I'm being really honest about how I'm doing, I'm absolutely roasting because I've had to shut the windows, so the sound is taking in. So I'm sweltering, so I do expire midway through the show. It's probably just heat exhaustion, so don't be too concerned. Oh, well. Uh, that is concerning more for the fact I'll have to finish the show myself than for any concern for you, Brian, I have to say, but we'll we'll get through it as much as we can. Um, Thanks to everybody joining us in the chat. I can see you coming in just now on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you are. Don't forget, we asked this last week, uh, if you could subscribe to the channel and give the video a like, that really, really helps us get out there uh, uh, and get to more Celtic supporters, which is the main aim of doing the show. So, um, yeah. If you can do that to help us out, costs you absolutely nothing except your valuable time. Um, got plenty to discuss. As you can see, we're going to talk a bit about Josef Juranovic. Um, there have been some moves uh, in the transfer market for him, but perhaps it's off because of other um, movements that the club who are interested in him are making. But we will discuss that a little bit later on. Uh, Brian, just if you would indulge me for a minute or so, I was going to talk a little bit about, um, I was at the Tommy Burns story uh, last Saturday lunchtime with my um, uncle to see the show. Um, Danny, if you're watching in the chat, you were sitting in front of me and uh, turned around to say hello. I can promise you Jim will be back. He's just having a bit of an extended um, pre-season, uh, but he assures us he will be back. So, um just wanted to say well done to the entire cast. It was an absolutely fantastic show. You'll have seen them come on the show in the past to promote it. Unfortunately, the run is finished at the Kings and there aren't any plans for any further runs, but I would advise you if they do announce any more, please, please, please make an effort to go because if you're a fan of Tommy Burns, if you're a fan of that era of Celtic or if you're a fan of Celtic at all, you're just going to find 
a lot in it for you. Um, I'm not going to lie, the second half of it is uh, not an easy watch for obvious reasons. Um, you know, there's a lot there that will trigger a lot of uh, not-so-pleasant memories for people. Uh, but well worth it in any case to to, to go and see it. And um, uh, we really, really enjoyed it, as we always do when we go to these types of things. Um, but Brian, we'll get on to the first talking point. I'm just trying to remember what we actually discussed before the show that we were going to talk about. Yeah, so we'll start with Juranovic uh, on the strapline and his big club stance. Now, there have been rumours, obviously, that he's been connected with a move potentially to um, Spanish giants Atletico Madrid. Uh, whether that's going to come to fruition, um, as you said before the show, um, they are also interested in a right back from Udinese. So it's a case of, I think they're um, got a finger in both pies, so to speak, and just waiting to see what what happens as far as that's concerned. Um, what are your thoughts on Juranovic and any potential like loss that he might be if we were to go on and lose him in this uh, in this transfer market? Well, I think you always lose a, a really good player. And I think Juranovic has been absolutely key for us last season. I think he just he, he's tailor-made for, for that role within Angie's team. Um, but one of the things that I think is an overarching thing is that the fact he's on a, like a four-year deal, we're going to get really good value from him if he does mm-hmm. go. So if, if we do sell him, he's at a great age. He's And if teams like Atletico Madrid run for him, it means mm-hmm. there's other teams more than them. And you're, you're talking a, a huge, a huge chunk of transfer fee comes in with that. Now, you've shown what Ange can do in quite a limited budget. And it's sort like of gems he's unearthed. So you've got to have faith that if you're rich was to go and we got a huge amount of money in, that would be well spent. However, what you don't want to do, if you're going to, it's almost that feeling of if you're going to lose Juranovic, you want to lose him just now. Yeah, you don't lose him two days before the season starts, or you know after the first couple of games. You want a replacement in, and and to hit the ground running. Um, what I would say though is even when the sort of transfer talk came out quite early in the transfer window, um, Juranovic's camp were all pretty clear that he was very happy at Celtic. I think he said himself mm-hmm. he, was, he was very happy. He was, you know. Was no rush to go. I think he's as well as the fact he's he's happy here and he said in the Champions League. He's also got the World Cup to think about. And I think he wants to be playing regularly and playing well. And unless he's going to a team that he's going to start for in the Champions League, I don't think it'd be an incentive for him to leave just now. Mm-hmm. That may change come January. Uh, it may change come the end of the season if he's an absolutely blinding season in Europe. But you could say that for for any player in the squad. Mm-hmm. It's almost the, the curse of Celtic because the better we do and the better the players do, the more likely it is that somebody's going to come in and try and steal them. Yeah. But as I said, initially, I think the transfer policy of these long, longer deals, and I think a yeah. lot of these you can go on you know, an extension, like a one-year extension they can trigger as well. So I think that Celtic have been quite shrewd and that even if, say, it's this time next year, we'll talk about maybe Hugo smashed it up and scored a hatchet against Liverpool in the Champions League final. And, and some clubs come in for him. We know we're going to get a packet, not only because yeah. of the profile, because of the length of the deal. So I think we're in a good place. You don't want to see a good players go, but I think we're getting into a, a place where we can sort of have faith in Ange that he's signed a very good replacement. 
Yeah, uh, listen, I'd, I'd take losing any player if it meant they scored a hat-trick in the Champions League final against Liverpool. I don't mind what they do after that, but uh, no, it's it's still an interesting point. And, and, you know, we've got on the strap line, Juranovic's big club stands. For anybody that missed it, he has said in interviews recently that he's obviously flattered by the interest from Atletico Madrid. I think anybody would be, but that he feels he's already at a big club and, and that he's got things he wants to achieve. I think your World Cup point is is valid there and that, you know, unlike any other year, we've only got six months to go to the World Cup. So, you know, players will be reluctant to give up a starting berth in a team going to a new club and not knowing what's awaiting them. But as far as the big club comment is, how much do you buy into that? Is that just him sort of saying what he knows the fans want to hear? Is he playing both sides as far as that's concerned, being flattered by Atletico but saying that he's a big club? Or do you think that's genuinely what he thinks? I, I don't think the two of them are actually mutually exclusive because if he's being cute in saying that, then it's going to drive up his profile because he's saying, well, I'm not leaving for a bigger club, but if you want me, come in and make it valuable for me. Yeah. So, you know, if if it's the case that he does maybe secretly think I'm losing the, the bag for him, then by saying he's ready at a big club, it's not like, what's the best example? So say someone coming in, um, say Celtic in for somebody at, you know, Dunfermline, say, right, the lure is they're going to a bigger club. Mm. Right? Whereas if he's saying, no, 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 I don't need to go to a bigger club, I'm happy where I am, then it means... It has to be a good wage packet to convince the move. It has to be a big transfer fee. Yeah. So whether he's cute and trying to force a move, whether he's genuinely meaning it, I actually think he could be doing both. I think he he, he probably thinks he is, at, well, he is at a big club. And I think he believes that. And I think he's comfortable with that. I don't think that means that if a, if a, a, a club that was willing to pay him 100 grand a week came in, he wouldn't go. But I, I don't think... But it, but it, the way he comes across, I don't think he's dishonest. I mm. think he's a big personality. I think he seems to say what's on his mind and be quite confident about it. So I think, um, and I think the, the mentality at Celtic just now with all the players, it is this is where they want to be. It's something that I harp on about all the time, and I'm not going to bore people with doing it again, but that, that culture Andrew's fostered, you know, Jota talking about this is where he wanted to be. I'm sure he had plenty of offers, Carl Vickers, mm. guys like that. This is where they want to be, they want to improve. And I don't think Juranovic is any different. Yeah, I think I think we've seen hints of um, a little bit of ego from the players. Juranovic being one, um, Yakimakis being another, Joe Hart obviously being another. But I don't think that's a bad thing. And like you say, as long as they're here for the right reasons and they're confident in their ability, then I think that's a that's a positive thing for us. Some comments coming through already. Brian Lennon says, Happy Friday, Tim's new Celtic gear arrived this morning. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. I opened this box for this shirt this week, just arrived this week. And as soon as I opened it, it said on the bottom of it, we never stop. And honest to God, I was just like, no, we don't. Slapped it straight on. I was absolutely delighted. So... Um, yeah, they've got their marketing uh, down pat this time. It's much better than where supporters support, that's for sure. Um, just talking about the Juranovic thing, Peter McGee says, uh, JJ would be a big loss, but we've got Tony R. Ridiculizer saying something a bit more strong than that, saying Ralston first pick for me. Um, we've gone on about it a million times, Brian, the, you more than most, actually, about, about Tony Ralston. Um, uh, uh, we've focused a lot on what he's brought on the pitch 
But I think what's interested me in the last couple of weeks is the changing conversation amongst the Celtic support. It's not just that we're saying, oh, he's been, he's played well, he's he's had good performances. It's the fact that, you know, him being on the pitch, he even had the armband for a period of the game against Mbani Estrava. It's not even a talking point anymore, is it? That's the fantastic thing. Um, it was our very own Natasha Miko that I think put in our WhatsApp group, you know, what a turnaround to see him with the captain's armband. Mm. It doesn't mean he's going to be captain moving forward, but what a, even in a pre-season friendly, that's a massive honour, especially yeah. when he was nearly pointed out to a championship club before Ange came in. And I think what I'd said about him last season, what he was, for me, he was kind of indicative of our season and that nobody really expected much from him. Yeah. But he worked really hard. Improved, they bought into philosophy and it became a, a really strong success. I think you mentioned ego earlier on. Mm. I love players with a bit of ego. I think I think I would have every player in my team with a bit of ego, a bit about them. I think you need it. I think it's essential. I think to survive the pressure of playing for uh, Glasgow Celtic, you need to have enough about you that you are confident enough. And I don't think confidence is something that can be mis- mistaken for arrogance. Mm-hmm. I use an analogy. If you go on a plane and you meet the pilot and you're right at Tenerife and you say to the pilot, are you a brilliant pilot? And he goes, ah, <laughs> you know that you're Tenerife, you can back off. What you want him to tell you? Don't you worry. You say, fans, I'm a great pilot. Same with players. I'm going to be honest. Don't, uh, Brian, I love my holidays. I might still take my chances, but... <laughs> no, it depends. It depends. Aye, you might as well. But um, the point being, when you've got players that play for Celtic, I want to believe... They're, they're great and they're going to win and they're, they're strong. The reason I bring that up is I don't think Ralston as much has an ego, but what an incredible sense of self-belief and determination that man has. Yeah. Because he, you know, he kind of gave up, he kind of walked away, he went to St. Johnston and Dundee United, I think, on loan. Did they set the world alight? He's come back, everybody's telling him he's rotten, he has to leave. We're getting linked to every right back under the sun. And he sticks to it and he improves and he fights and I think if he brings that one to the park, I think that's what Celtic fans love in a player. Because what he's, he also gives a quality that we don't have an abundance of in the team and that he's quite a, he's, he's aggressive, he's a real warrior in the park. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a Scott Brownie's quality where he likes to noise people up and, you know, if he's going to tackle, he's going to win it. You know, he's got that real mentality and, and I think that's kind of, kind of brilliant. Um, I still think Janarevic is the better right back. There's no doubt about that. But the fact that on his day, if you're going to, you know, a Glasgow derby or a, or a big game and Ralston's starting, no one's having a meltdown anymore. No one's, no one's, you know, panicking and, and ripping up a season ticket and attacking the board and whatever else. People, people actually going, do you know what? Fair play, Aldo, when you go. And I think that's a, I think that's that's a strong, uh, as I say, indication of not just his character, but again, the culture itself that just now and that ability, if you work hard, you find success. Yeah, uh, Lubo Maestro enjoyed your your analogy uh, uh, with the pilot. You know, you're you're slowly developing a reputation here, Brian, for a for a for a good one for an analogy. It's not a bad thing. Um, I um, yeah, I think I think Ralston for me is just, you know, there's a lot of players. I, I sometimes think that players who don't get me wrong, a player who comes into the team, who you know hits the ground running, say a Kieran Tierney type who never really puts a foot wrong and then embeds himself in the team. There's merit to that. I get that. 
But somebody like Ralston, who's had knockback after knockback after knockback, is still there and is still as keen to be a Celtic player as he ever was. I think there's a lot to be said for that as well. And and like you say, we've talked about mentality, arrogance, confidence, whatever you want to call it. It's definitely something to value in him because I think you can look at him and say, well, he can take a knock and, and get back up from it. And then that's that's a valuable quality to have in any walk of life, uh, not least uh, playing for Glasgow Celtic. So it'll be interesting to see what's... Sorry, on you go, Brian. You need to be so mentally strong. You know, uh, and I think I think a player that is going to be a bit underrated in terms of his mentality is Greg Taylor as well on the other side. Mm. Because Greg, I, I don't think he's a, a bad player. I think he's a good player. I think he can play great on occasion, but I don't think he's a great player. And I think, you know, um, we, we, we do need to improve at left back. Hopefully the Argentinian boy will. But the point is, Greg Taylor's attitude is incredible as well. I've been at Parkhead when he loses the ball or, or doesn't he pass it quick enough. And he mm-hmm. does get watered, but he gets home with it and he fights. And Nelson's got that quality. James Forrest, another one, he gets slaughtered at times, but he's got a, a real winning mentality. And that, that spiny the team, and having that, even if they know their first choices anymore, is mm-hmm. so important to having that squad, especially for guys coming into that. So if guys are coming into that mentality and you've got guys like uh, Giacomakis up front, who everyone loves a big man. He, yeah. He's just, he's, he's absolute class. Um, that, that That's infectious. Do you know what I say? say they fell in love with Celtic, but I think they also fall in love with the, the, the squad mentality. And if you've yeah. got a winning mentality, winning mentalities aren't throwing your hands up and blaming everybody else and slumming about and being in a huff. Winning mentality is looking at yourself. How can you improve? Make a mistake and still keep going. Our very own Tony Haggerty, who isn't here today, he'd said that about Kyogo, and I think he was kind of roundly criticised for it mm. because Kyogo needs to be more clinical because he misses a lot of chances. And he's right, he does miss a lot of chances, but it doesn't matter how many chances he misses because he will score. Yeah, He's not strong mentally and he misses that First chance, his game's gone. You can't have that at club at Celtic and guys like Ralston, Taylor, um, exhibit that, I think, sensationally. Yeah, Joe Hamilton in the comments says Greg Taylor leaves it all in the park. I think I think I think like what you said, I don't think anybody here's saying that we've got, you know, the Scottish Roberto Carlos in uh, in Greg Taylor, but we've certainly got somebody who's putting in a shift and certainly has enough ability in the domestic game to, to be a solid left back for us, even if the step up to Europe uh, might prove to be a bit too much for him. But, you know, I think he I think he's certainly a great second choice um, behind Bernabe, who hopefully will prove to be uh, an effective left back. You know, I trust that Ange saw in him what's required. And so, so we'll see how that goes. Um, moving on to during the week, obviously, we had the uh, we had the friendly against uh, Barrick Ostrava. Won the game four two. Um, I'm I'm quite encouraged. I have to say, by the way, that we are free scoring in the in the games, uh, uh, and you know everybody's contributing with goals. We had goals from Yakimakis, uh, O'Reilly. I think Kyogo scored as well. Um, before we go into the bit I'm a bit more concerned about, are you encouraged by the way we we appear to be scoring goals? Are you are you maybe not taking as much from it just because of the standard of opposition we're playing so far? No, I, I think I'm, I'm very encouraged because you have to consider that there's been so much rotation as well and you can almost, it's almost hard to spot. There's a drop-off in quality at certain points. You understand that when, you know, mm. maybe the, the, the sort of starting players 
on the plane, but even within that, the, the players have hit the ground running. They look very fit, very strong, very aggressive on the ball, very brave to pass, and they're only going to get better. So although the opposition has you know been up and down, that's mm-hmm. going to align with levels of fitness and sharpness. So that'll improve as the opposition improves. And the fact that we're scoring these goals and scoring it so effortlessly, it's not just the fact that we're striking the ball well and we're, 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 we're hitting the net. It's the fact that it's the moves the players are making. The understanding in display is absolutely yeah. excellent, regardless of whether it's, you know, you're seeing a, a front three of, um, say, Yakimakis, Forrest and Mikey Johnson. And then you're seeing Jota, Abada, Kyogo. Mm. And the movement, the interplay, the understanding within them all, any combinations of that, and they're still hitting the back of the net consistently. And even the, the midfield, I'm sure we'll talk about as well, has been doing the same. So I think it's incredibly encouraging. Now, yeah. I, I always find hyperbolic because I'm quite an excitable guy. I'm a kind of <laughs> sunny side up fella, right? But I think the, the proof's in the pudding because there's reason to be excited. Yeah. Because you can, in my opinion, I don't think what from the last game we played last season to where we are now, I don't think there's actually a huge drop-off considering we're just in pre-season. And mm-hmm. I think that's quite incredible because generally in pre-season, we can be murder. Yeah. Right? I mean, last year it was slightly different because Andrew's kind of assembling. It was all very patchwork. But in previous seasons, it's been difficult at this stage. Um, whereas I think actually we're, we're looking really strong and really fit and really sharp. And, and I think it bodes so well for the, the season ahead. I think it does. We'll move on to the midfield, as you said, in a minute. But but one thing I'm really, really excited about, um, you know, everybody praises Kyogo and quite rightly, he, he became an instant hero when he came into the club. Yeah, uh, Jorgos Shakimakis had a bit of a slower start, but I have to say, uh, from what I've seen this pre-season from him, from what I saw at the tail end of last season, he has proven to me exactly how he became the goal machine he did in Holland. It was a thing we were all concerned about that, it seemed like an anomaly of a season when he came in. But I think what I'm seeing there is a real guy who has a belief in his ability and a real goal scorer on our hands that that I think getting a full season out of him, a full pre-season and then a full season could, you know, give us a lot to be encouraged about and maybe help us get that stronger start this season than we had last season. Do you think I'm being too hyperbolic saying that? No, not at all. I totally agree. I think... Um... I, I I don't want to say, oh, I backed him for the start because I knew best, but I did back him for the start. <laughs> but I'm going to say it. <laughs> but it's not because I know best. It's just that I had a feeling about him when I saw him. And he was, his first couple of games, he wasn't great, to be fair. But I just felt like, and I think it was Al Morrison, um, who sometimes on a, a Friday, and he spoke about how him and Kyogo, although they're both very different players, they actually fit into the system very, like, very much the exact same. Mm. And if you look at what Yakimakis offers, the way he's, he's pressing about, he's so aggressive with it. So his movement's no sharp as Kugo. He doesn't run as fast, but he's always in the right place at the right time. That first touch finish for that volley for Alston's cross the other night yeah. is absolutely exceptional. And he, he's got this brilliant way of like, he uses their defender as a leaning post. Mm-hmm. He steadies himself. Um, and he's a bit of a wind-up merchant as well. He's always kind of in people's ears and putting himself about. And I just think that when you've got a guy like him up front, you're really confident and it goes back to the other point and then you put Kyogo in and you're just as confident. That's no, We've not been in a position like that for a long, long time at Celtic. 
Um, and I think I said those two guys in the way they integrate, you know, with whether it's Yota or whether it's uh, Abada or Maeda, it doesn't matter. They're still getting the same results. And I think it, it just goes, again, this is always about a loving frange, but it goes to what he we offers as a coach and how good a coach he is. Mm-hmm. These players, slightly different players still fit in the system seamlessly. And you think about it as well, Laura. Say, for, for instance, you're, even if you're a Champions League calibre defender and you've mm-hmm. been trying to mark Kyogo for an hour, right, which is no easy feat by any means, and then Big Yakimakis comes on, dang it, yeah. shut off and score a goal and shout at everybody. <laughs> that's I don't care how good a player you are, that's a, a, a terrifying prospect and it's such a good weapon to have in an Arsenal. And I think they both... I think you kind of touched on it there, but I think they both test defenders physically, but in different ways. You know, Kyogo yeah. is making runs everywhere. He's going to have defenders on the turn and, and chasing them down. Whereas, you know, Yakimakis in most cases has a more direct physical approach where he's going to impose himself upon you. And I think the the variety in that allows us to have those options. I know that Ange famously said back back at the start that plan B was plan A but better but I do think he is you know that was maybe just a a slogan to throw at the journalists but I do think he's showing that he he, he likes a team that there is a bit of variety of approach and I don't think there's there's a more um, obvious example of that than than the contrast and the similarities between between, um, Yakimakis and Kyogo. It'll be interesting to see Yeah sorry you go Riemann's an absolute warrior as well. I mean, obviously, Yakima mm-hmm. is a unit, right? He's like six plus, about what I think. The Kyogo, for a guy who's quite slight, he puts himself about. He never shuts a tackle. He's mm. he's chasing defenders down. He's, he's tackling. He's putting himself about. He's getting knocks and getting straight back up. So there's a real strong mentality in there with him as well. And a real yeah. a, a physicality, just a certainly, as you said, a certainly different physicality, but no less valid. Mm. And I think I think you're right. You were right to to bring that up. I think we. I think we all, you know, thought Kyogo just on his build alone and his height might be a bit lightweight, but I don't think he's proved that at all. I think he's proved the opposite. Um, Sid64 says Kyogo finds the space, Gigi commands it, which uh, with pattern like that, Sid, you should be on this show. But um, right in the Friday. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was better than uh, Brian's uh, Michael Jackson analogy from last week, but we'll not go there. Um <laughs> Uh, you, listen, you, you wanted to talk about, about the midfield. I, I think what's interesting me about the midfield is the number of options that we've got available. Is there something approaching a a first-choice midfield for you? I, I'm not sure I can see it as yet, but I, I, I think I think it's going to be important for the season going forward. So this is where this might be a bit controversial, but it's nearly the weekend, so we might as well enjoy ourselves. <laughs> So I think the midfield, we have got other options. And McGregor, Hitati, O'Reilly is probably your, your strongest three. But then I think about Turnbull. Mm. And the way his range of passing can find Kyogo is exceptional. Yeah. So then you think, right, you can maybe drop Hitati and put Turnbull in. The problem was you've got that four, which I think is an excellent any combination of that four works quite well the problem mm-hmm. is I think there's quite a drop off like I don't I don't think we've got you know if we, if we make the assumption we're playing a midfield three all the time which we probably will I don't think we've got a midfield six that's equally as good 
I think mm-hmm. there's still a bit of unbalance. I still think you need a very, very strong sort of number six if McGregor's not playing or to yeah. push McGregor up. Um, and, I, and I think it's not a weak area, but it is an area I'm slightly more concerned about. Edie Gucci's looked quite good in pre-season, but I don't know if I would I would rely on him yet. I'm hoping yeah. he goes me wrong and, and goes on to be player of the year. Of course I do. But I just have not seen enough to sort of go well. He's better than Turnbull, or better than O'Reilly, or better than Hitati, or better than McGregor. I don't think he is. Um, and McCarthy's kind of got his own issues with Foku. I think he's a, a good player that plays a position well. I just don't know if that position fits into our system particularly yeah. well. Um, so I'm slightly concerned about the the midfield, although you are right, it's good to have different options. And the options we do have are so strong, as I say, if, for me, if there's any comment of McGregor, Turnbull, Hitati's playing, excellent. Riley in there, excellent. I think O'Reilly's got insane potential, if mm-hmm. I'm honest. All the midfielders at the club, he's the one that I think will eventually go for the, the, the big, big money. I think he's a potentially a real superstar, actually. I think he's got something really special about him. No, just his looks. Yeah. They help. <laughs> um, but he, he's, he's got all the qualities, I think, of a, a real elite world-class footballer um, and that's no disrespect to the rest but I do think that force kind of head and shoulders above everything else and hmm. that's a wee bit of a worry for me Yeah, um, just going off the back of what you said, uh, Johnny Ryan says his tip for uh, player of the season is O'Reilly um, I don't want to do what you did with Yakimakis but again I'm going to do it, O'Reilly was one of those ones that even when people were doubting him a wee bit at the start, I, I felt like I could see the quality and the potential one of the major Stumbling blocks for a lot of people was could him and Rogic play in the same team? Now, for me, they could, even though in early stages, I don't think they communicated well enough or were on each other's wavelength well enough. That's obviously a a hurdle, if you like, that's out the way now with Tom Rogic not being part of the Celtic squad going forward. Do you think that maybe gives O'Reilly a bit more freedom to play with the potential and the skill and the and the and the and the freedom that, that you mentioned before to, to get up to those heights of potentially being world-class like we talked about? Well, I think the, the, the thing that O'Reilly and Carl McGregor kind of have both the same problem and the same sort of, um, the thing that makes them special. Mm. That I think Matt O'Reilly's both our best number 10 and our best number 8. Mm. And I think McGregor can be our best number 6 and best number 8. So... Within that, that gives you... So, say Turnbull and O'Reilly are playing, I think O'Reilly can slightly switch dynamics, slightly switch roles. Same mm-hmm. with um, McGregor's and he pushes forward. I don't think that changes too much. And I think yeah. he's smart enough that, and clever enough as a footballer that he, he can understand the strengths of the other players and where he fits in best. Yeah. One of the things I spoke about before was I think his defensive capability is really underrated. He's got a real knack of sort of nipping in and taking the ball. Mm-hmm. He, he, he never slides in. He doesn't seem like someone that tackles, but he seems to sort of nick the ball away quite a lot. Yeah. You know, he does work really hard as well, tracks back. He's quite a big guy as well. I think he's like six foot or six foot two or something like that. So he's got a presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, he's got that. He's almost got a wee bit of Joe Ledley about him. In, yeah. In movement, but I think probably better than Joe Ledley without any yeah. disrespect to him. He's, cer- he's certainly better than Joe Ledley now. I saw Joe Ledley at the Masters last Friday, and uh, he's not—he's not quite the player he once was. I'll, I'll put it that way. Last <laughs> still ten times the player I would have be. So oh, <laughs> me too, me too. 
Uh, no, it's it's just it's fantastic though. Just listening to you talk through the options there, you know, something that we've just not had for a long, long time. And and like you say, players that can do more than one role. A lot of people say that's a that's a disadvantage, but I I think it's I think it's an advantage, especially if you're talking about players of the quality of O'Reilly and McGregor being able to play a couple of different positions. Neither of them are ever going to put in half a shift in any position. So um, I'm really encouraged to see what happens going forward. Uh, moving further back in the team, and obviously the defence is not the only thing to blame for this, but I've got to admit, seeing seeing the quality of the goals we conceded uh, in the in the game during the week, I know Ange's philosophy is score more goals in the opposition and you'll win the game, but I'm a bit concerned that the way we're leaking goals, do you think that's something that we are going to be able to shore up on before the season starts, or are we kind of is that do you think that's going to be just the way that we play games going forward? So I think, if you take the pre-season as an example, I think that the changes, the rotation at the back has sort of affected that. Mm-hmm. I think if, we had, if Carter, Vickers and Starfield would have been playing all those games, then I, I don't think you can see as many of the goals. Um, I, look, I know Carter, Vickers gave the dodgy pass back for, for Joe Hart, but I, I don't think, I'm not too concerned about... Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Um, that moving forward, because I think Angie said the only players he doesn't tend positions he doesn't tend to rotate are his centre halves. He likes a real strong partnership. So I think yeah. whoever starts that will keep it. The high risk, high reward thing is something that you're going to have to deal with. You can't have both. I don't think you can you can play sort of so attacking and so aggressive going forward and never concede. I think something's got to give. Um, I do have slight concerns that he thinks Joe Hart's our, our new left centre back we've been asking for because the big man's been playing so far up and that's fine if you're absolutely solid and don't give the ball away at any point in midfield. Mm-hmm. So that that's the, the, the playoff. That's the sort of... It's a, a big if. It's, it's a, a big, big if. if. But, you know, domestically, I'm not too concerned, but in Europe, if, if there's a nervous pass, I think we'll get punished. However, the flip side of that is, when we, you know, sat here, I think it was um, when Dana Orowitz said that Ainsley doesn't worry about the defence. Um, yeah. Tony Haggard, he nearly blew off. <laughs> and we saw that's not actually quite accurate. It's just maybe the perception's more in it. And so I suspect that, although I'm just saying he wants Joe Hart to be a bit more active and a bit more aggressive in play, um, I, I think it will be tempered with the understanding the team has to also help out in, in defence. But then we, we spoke earlier about the amount of goals we're scoring in pre season. The very likely to do that's because we're being so aggressive and sort of so attacking yeah. from the back. So then, if you take that away, you take the goals away, and in which case, you still got the same problem because you can start. You can always any team in the world can concede a goal, but if you're not best enough to attack, 
and you can see that goal late, the game's over. So yeah. uh, I, I think you've got to almost take the rough with the smooth. Even last yeah. season, though, as much as Joe Hart was sort of the darling of the Celtic fans and the darling of Axel in, in many regards, it, there was a couple of times he, he, he was scaring the life out of me. You know, there's a couple of times I thought, just clear it at this stage. Yeah. I know the philosophy, I get it, I buy into it, but sometimes just clear it. Um, and I think that's just a, a, a um, an aspect of the, the way we're going to play that we need to live with. Because, as we said at the start, the amount of goals we score, the amount of attacking flair we show, I think kind of levels that out. Yeah, um, we'll come back to the Joe Hart thing because I did want to talk to you about that. But um, it's amazing the different comments coming in from people. Um, Douglas Kane says defence is woeful just now is allowing players in behind them. But Gary Melrose raises a decent point, which is Laura defence uh, sorted that out last season, but that defence hasn't played yet. CCV and Starfield. That's probably a decent point, isn't it? I think you mentioned earlier that you know we're not always playing the players you expect to start. So maybe some of the results and some of the way that we're playing isn't actually representative of what we're going to be doing as a team. No, and the other thing to remember as well is we've kind of consistently, and I know Anthony actually said it, but the assumption's been that we are looking to strengthen at centre-back. Mm. So, you know, yeah, if there's an area of the squad that's a wee bit weaker just now, it's the one that needs strengthened, right? Yeah. The no points, you know, we need to strengthen centre-back if we want to score goals. So, it's logical that there might be a wee bit of fate at the back if we don't have Starfield and Carter Vickers playing. Um, I think I've been a big advocate of Boston Lowell mm-hmm. uh, for last season. I thought he could play, but he did look like he'd led in his boots still on it. And I don't know if that was youth or he struggled a wee bit. But again, that's maybe because he's so young. And um, the other thing as well is Julian was, or Julian, I should say, he was bombing up the park like a. You know, he was in the box made off in the Yakamaki cell all night. <laughs> and, and I don't know if he's trying to put himself in a show one day, he's just trying to get impressed. But a lot of times we were left exposed because of that as well. So yeah. there's a lot of mitigating factors around. And I think, look, if you're going to concede goals and have been mistakes, I think it starts in pre-season. I think that's the safe place for it. I don't agree the defence has been woeful. I think that's harsh. Um, yeah. And I think even if we don't get this sort of world-class centre-back in we want by the first league game, I still mm-hmm. think we're comfortable enough domestically. Um, if we get to Champions League and it's say Stephen Mills partner start, uh, Carter Vickers if Starfield's no fit by that time that's more of a concern mm-hmm. but I think we won't be, there's no need to worry about it I think we maybe we maybe things are going to be a bit too well and we're not used to it and we're kind of looking for for gaps yeah, that's uh, that's just the mentality of a Celtic supporter, isn't it? It's, these are the good times when they're going to go wrong, but uh, hopefully they'll last for a bit. Um, touching on the Joe Hart thing, it's actually a, a story that's been picked up, I think, in the press and, and the, the extract I'm about to read out to you uh, is from the Glasgow Evening Times, but I actually found it on 67 Hail Hail website. Um, Hamish and the guys over there do a lot of great written content, which I, I highly recommend if you're you're interested in reading as well as listening to Celtic, um, come to us for the podcast and go to them for the written stuff, that's fine um, <laughs> but he, he, Ange apparently told uh, on, on being questioned about the high positioning of Joe Hart like you talked about, he says uh, Joe and the goalkeepers are getting used to our game plan last year, he came in pretty late and we didn't have a chance to work on a lot of things, it depends on the context of the game, um, there was a couple of times um Sorry, that's somebody else. That's somebody else. But um, yeah, there are a couple of times he got caught out. Um, but that was because of our sloppy passing. 
there was no denying that we want to be an aggressive team to do that. It means everybody needs to be that bit more aggressive and Joe or whoever our goalkeeper is needs to be part of that. Listen, I'm not one to question Ange. Heaven knows he's a better football coach than I'll ever be. He knows more about the game than I'll ever know. But this goalkeeper thing does still make me a little bit nervous, if only because... I get the I get the logic behind a high pressing goalkeeper um when we're in possession and making himself available for passes and, and distributing the ball in a good way as well, but he seemed to be occupying that high position even when we weren't in possession the other night and I think that's where I get concerned is because again going back to Dan Orlowitz, one thing he did say was that if we come up against a team who can hit a ball from from long range, you know, you leave yourself vulnerable to conceding goals and that's something that would concern me. I mean, far be it from me to question Ange on something, but what's your opinion on the the high position of the goalkeeper when we're out of possession? To me, that feels a little bit like just inviting trouble if you've got a player in the opposition who can take advantage of it. Possibly. I think the, the, the key quote and in, in that <clears throat> segment you read out is when I said it depends in the context of the game. So you know if we're if there's a team if we're playing Livingston and they're playing that low block they like to play and there's ten men behind the ball, then there's no reason why your keeper can't be pushing up and just constantly try to keep that pressure constantly have a link for that release. But if you're playing you know in the, the Bernabeu in the Champions League, he's probably not going to be up there trying to tackle Modric. Do you know what I mean? So I think I think. That within what Anne says there, you know, he will allow for the opposition. If there's an opposition we're playing who play a really strong high press, I don't imagine mm-hmm. Joe Hart will be out there trying to press them. But I think if we're playing against a team that plays a low block, you probably see most like it. And look, the reality is as well, I think I remember when people talk about ball playing centre backs and people started panicking and saying, Oh, you can't get a defender, just lump it, just lump it. And yeah. then that's, it's now sort of commonplace that, you know, that's how not only we play, but that's how most sort of expansive attacking teams play. And we got used to that pretty quickly. And then people started saying, oh, we can't keep up taking too many touches. And then now we're asking our keepers to... And I think you saw it at training, some of them were playing outfield just to get used to the ball at their feet. So, like you said, I, I've got complete faith in, in Andrew and what he does. And I think he's sensible enough. And I say, I think the, 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 the quote about the context of the game is, is key. So I, I don't think you see that, as I say, in Champions League games against high pressing opposition, but I suspect you see that in a cup game against Alaba. Yeah. Oh well absolutely. Uh, Craig M. We've got we've got we've got comments from everybody coming in who that kind of encompass exactly what we've been talking about there. So Craig M says he almost got chipped from the halfway line the other day. That's the worry I was talking about. But MB, touching on the, the context of the game like you were talking about, says goalkeeper thing makes perfect sense when we have an average of 70% possession on the ball in the SPFL. Recycle the ball quickly and go again. We never stop. So it, it's, I guess in that sense, if we're going to be the, the dominant force in most of the domestic games, it does make sense in that sense. But I think that's that does still tie in with what I was saying about I don't have a problem with it when we're in possession. It is more the out-of-possession stuff that, that is a concern. But like you said, that's really only going to be a concern most of the time in, in, in Europe and I don't think you'll employ quite as an aggressive a tactic in Europe as that. But it'll be interesting to see. I'm just itching to see who we end up getting in the groups, to be honest, because my mouth's watering at the prospect. But um, the, the next 
topic I just wanted to go on to with you was um, I saw a bit of news coverage. I think it was. I hate to say it, but I think it might be in the Daily Record that I saw it in. Um, yeah, uh, there was some suggestion that there has been a bit of um, fan revolt over at Liga Warsaw. Obviously, for anybody who is aware, um, Arta Boric is having a farewell match uh, in his native Poland on the 20th of July. And uh, given his uh, stature at both clubs, he has asked Celtic to participate in that match. It's believed before a couple of days ago um, that there was only 10% of the capacity of the stadium sold. Um, before we go on to talk about the reasons why that might be the case and the changes that have been made to help that, um, Brian, how, how do you feel um, about Arthur Boric, about his impact at Celtic, about the fact that he wants us to be part of his last game? It says an awful lot about us as a club and his connection to the club, doesn't it? That, you know, he's played for Fiorentina, he's played for, you know, Southampton, he's played for clubs that I'm sure would have had the money and the means and the following to to easily fill, you know, the stadium in Poland if he'd absolutely wanted it. But, you know, he chose us. Does that say a lot about, you know, the connection you think he has to the club? Absolutely. And I think he's a holy goalie, isn't he? That's, that's, he's a holy goalie and he always will be. He was crackers. I loved him. I just loved how bonkers he was. I loved him yeah. for his ability, but I loved him for that sort of that sort of extra sort of fight. And it's the thing I talked about earlier on. I played seven a bit about them and, and having that aggression, and I absolutely loved that. Also, one of my favourite chants, uh, chants. Um, he blessed himself with Ibrooks and blah 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 blah. <laughs> um, and even the the I think we we'd won the league, but Rangers beat us, and he had the the champions flag running about. Mm. And so I just all the mad stuff like that, but try to battle Lee Naylor, remember? And uh, yeah. I think- oh, I was I was at that game, and honest to God, I have never seen a, a Celtic support so behind one of their players against another player. <laughs> Everybody was shouting after batter him, which I mean, don't advocate violence, but in this situation, oh, it was it was all it was all hands on deck, and uh, I think Lee Naylor realised the trouble he was in pretty quickly and backed off. <laughs> I, I one thing Lee Naylor isn't he stupid clearly, but <laughs> I think um, and also fantastic saves, save to get us into the Champions League, famous celebrations with our man Tommy. We talked about earlier jumping up the top. It's it's iconic. Mm. He's an iconic player, an iconic figure, um, and I think that I think we had a traditional. Not that we poor goalkeepers, that's not fair. But when he came in. Since him, we've always Barkas aside, hologram hands aside. We've always done <laughs> almost since Boric, yeah. and he sort of started that tradition almost. And like like any great player, and like any great club, the two of them were matched. He fell in love with Celtic as much as Celtic fans fell in love with him. And and it goes back to Jaranovic uh, comment at the start. It's, it's a huge club, and players get infected by it and they love it, just as the mm. same way fans grow to love these these players. Um, and obviously Jaranovic played with him. That's we we took him for uh, Boric's club there, just uh, in the summer. So a bit of a, it all came together there. Actually, that wasn't even rehearsed. That's quite nice. A, a bit of synergy. Bit of Friday. That's not bad. That's the ordinary day. Can't be a bit of synergy in a Friday, Brian. That's for sure. Um, my my outstanding memory of of Boric, apart from uh, nearly Malky and Lee Naylor, was uh, the Spartak Moscow Champions League qualifier when he saved the penalty and and shushed the crowd. Uh, 
the only time I've ever been at a, a, a penalty shootout at Celtic Park in the flesh. And honest to God, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It was the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever been through in my life. Um, and I, I doubt actually a roar has gone up like that for anything other than a goal at Celtic Park like that. Like, it was as loud as that. It was as raucous as that. The celebrations were as as big as that and that will be a lasting memory for me and I think like you said as well it's like he had that perfect mix of he wasn't just a cult hero for all the stuff that people remember him for the holy goalie and the songs and the and the personality he backed it up on the field he was a he was a great goalkeeper uh, and one of those people that like you mentioned earlier in the in the show it was almost a disadvantage says how good he was because he was constantly being moved with links uh, with moves away and and uh, uh, fortunately for us, stayed a good number of years and, and we're grateful for that. And so it is an honour to be involved in his last match. The reason I wanted to talk about it, though, is I mentioned before that the, the, the there was only 10% capacity sold. Um, apparently, there have been protests from Liga Warsaw fans around the pricing of the tickets. It's believed that they were trying to um, sell tickets for around the same price as they would normally charge for a Europa League group match. Um, which, you know, for a farewell match is out of order anyway, in my opinion. But given the current climate especially, I, I think it's an awful lot to expect, especially if you're also expecting presumably a number of Celtic supporters to travel over there and go to the game. You know, the costs involved in that is astronomical. They do seem to have uh, had an effect and uh, apparently ticket prices are now down to between 7 and £19, pounds, so hopefully those will be taken up in a bit larger volume. But I guess it opens a bigger conversation, Brian, to, you know, ticket prices in general. You know, as Celtic supporters, we are a bit victim to this the same way as the big clubs in Europe are, of playing in a league where the demand of seeing other teams is maybe not as great and so we suffer that cost every single time somebody wants to go to an away match to watch Celtic, somebody wants to buy a season ticket. The price hikes go up because we're in town, not because of anything else. Um, Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
do you think there's anything that can be done about that? Is that just the nature of the business? Like, how can they how can they make pricing a bit fairer? I know in Germany they have all sorts of, you know, schemes of you get free public transport if you've got a ticket to the game, all that kind of thing. Is that something you ever could see coming into the Scottish game? No, in Scotland, no. I, I think the, the the Scottish game's so cash strapped in a lot of ways, and quite honestly, so mismanaged by the SPFL and the SFA. Uh, I'm going to get started on the the lack of management in terms of sponsorship and stuff because we'll be here all day. But you know, it's mm-hmm. Friday and I'm actually positive. Um, but I, I think I, I think they'll always try and be as greedy as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, without getting political, our boy Mick Lynch would tell you that the the, the people up top with the money are the ones that take it off the the people that don't have it and expect them to, to fork out for it. I think yeah. prices in football. I mean, it's a bigger point. But I think that they are too expensive. Football is supposed to be this game that connects everyone. And the beauty of it is it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you're working class, you're upper class, whatever you are. Yeah. You can go and watch a game of football and enjoy it. And and now there's a lot of people over the world being priced out of that. And I think that's tragic. And I think it's really sad. And I hope it will change. But I, in Scotland, I kind of see it changing. I think in England, I've got friends that are, one of my mates is a Wills fan. Mm-hmm. they're not, not too bad in terms of pricing but again they go to certain grounds it's astronomical yeah. the Emirates, it's, it's costing an absolute fortune and you know the league of, uh, the, the fans were, were right to protest I think especially yeah. if it's change because you, you you got to stick together in these things and you've got to say no enough's enough we are going to stand together if I can be slightly critical of Celtic I don't think that would ever work if fans done it here because there's always going to be enough fans to fill that stadium yeah, if six division fans went and strike tomorrow and said, "I'm not going back to Parkhead till ticket prices are fifteen quid max," that another sixty thousand would just fill it anyway. Oh, aye, they would dip, they would dip into the waiting list that that oh, is already a couple of years long at this point and 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 find people, yeah. So it's the, it's the, again, it's the the beauty of being such a big club, but also the the sadness in it, and that you know, and you see it at teams in England and Man U, you know. When they were talking about the, the fans all boycotting when they were doing that European Super League, they were still just fill up with tourists anyway. It's all tourists that go. So, um, as I say, uh, it's a sad, a sad indictment of affairs at times because it's a game. The game is something we all love so much, but I do think you know hardworking people are priced out of it. And really, uh, I hats off to the fans that did protest and get change because I think that's something that most Celtic fans would hold dear to their heart. Is you know protesting for positive change. Yeah, I think I think especially in the last 10, 15 years is where it's really, really skyrocketed. Like, I remember as a kid in the 90s and 2000s, it was, don't get me wrong, a, a season ticket was a massive investment and even the day out itself was a massive investment, but a ticket for an odd match here and there was a relatively affordable experience for most people. And I think it's like you say, I think actually the majority of people nowadays if they don't have the season ticket that they're investing in for the full season and it's part of their weekly routine, there's a lot of people couldn't justify in the current climate even, you know, a one-off ticket for a game, which is a shame. Um, Kevin Graham, Kevin Graham says no ticket in Scotland, quid and Celtic should start it. I would be totally behind that. I think, you know, a, a standard price ticket, no matter who your opposition is, with a, maybe a slightly raised one for Europe and Champions League would be a fantastic idea. I, I don't know that it's something that's going to come in, especially after, you know, 
two and a bit years of of or, or eighteen months of no fans. Um, they're probably trying to recoup their costs as far as that's concerned. But you know, we'll see. We'll see what options are available as far as that's concerned. It's it's something that I think everybody needs to be aware of as well is that there are causes out there who are trying to help with this. The Kano Foundation, not least, to you know provide tickets for for underprivileged children um, and try and get their interest in football up there. So if you can find a an organisation like that to support who have football at the heart of their communities, it's, it's can only be a good thing because. I know lots of people say it, but you know, sport can do so much more than just be a pastime for people. It can bring people together, and I think we all need that a lot, especially after the last few years that we've had. Um, I'm not going to lie, Brian. I've kind of ran out of talking points, and we've got eight minutes to go. Oh, so no. I'm going to sing song. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it Axon Karaoke? Is that what we need to pass? It, it is Axon Karaoke. Give us your best. Not what I'm going to do is. Because I, ra- I raised it in the chat and there was a little bit of chat going on about it. I'm going to ask you, and this is on the spot, everybody, so don't blame Brian if he can't think of anything off the top of his head. I'm going to ask you to name who your ideal three uh, Champions League opponents would be in a, in a group stage, given that we are hopefully uh, leaning close to the draw. Because I've seen the debate go... You know, some people like me are a bit like, I don't want AC Milan, I don't want Barcelona, I don't want Benfica because we've had them so often. Leon's another one. I want fresh teams. Do you lean more that side or do you lean more towards the, you know, if it's a big team, it's a big team, whether we've played them before or not? So I was talking about this on Wednesday and I kind of don't care who we get in a way. Mm-hmm. I think that I think the mentality is such at Celtic just now that I think the players will care, I think Andrew will care, I think whoever we get we're going to go for it. Yeah. And the point I made is that you could say, for example, so say when we get scalped off Bodo Glunt last season, <laughs> if you'd asked me before a pick out a list of teams who to play, I'd have picked teams and they heard them, right? So I think name recognition isn't always the obvious answer. Do you know what I mean? So I think I'd rather have the, the sort of the sort of more glamorous ties and maybe a mix. So I think I would have Real Madrid. I think that would be good because it's something that we've not had. Yeah. And I think that the players would thrive on it. I think going to the Bernabeu would be, on the Bernabeu or however you want to pronounce it, um, would be excellent. I think that would be a very good adventure. Um, I want an English side as well because I think they're always good games. Um, Liverpool would be the marquee game probably, but mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine that? About eight each, wouldn't it? That would be insane, that game. That would be crazy, yeah. Um, it would be great to see and be a great occasion. And, and you know, the, the Scousers are always good crack, so I would like that. And then maybe, I think, maybe someone like Salzburg or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a team like that where it's going to be a real footballing test because they yeah. play, I think, in a way that kind of mirrors what, what Andrew's doing at Celtic. So that would probably be the three I would, I would pick. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I see that now where I'm sitting in my house Friday afternoon, it's sunny outside and I'm in a good place. The night before the games, I'd probably say, give me an easy one. I just want an easy one. I just want an easy time because I'll be panicking and nervous. And But that's probably who I would I'd like a few glamorous ties because we've, it's been so long since we've been um, in the, the Champions League and in the group stages. And I think we want to just enjoy it and, and test ourselves. And I would rather see us go down swinging against a, an excellent, excellent top tier team than somebody that's not that big a name and we kind of struggle or maybe scrape through or it's a 
you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. I would rather wait for it, seeing how we've seen, seen where we're actually at, because I expect us to dominate domestically. So I want you to go into Europe, go into that group stage, and just go for it, engage, and that gauges where we're at, so that next yeah. season we can be even better. Um, I've said before, I just want us to see sort of progress in our play, in our European adventures. Um, and as long as I see that, I'll be quite happy. Yeah. Uh, Gaz uh, is maybe showing my age here, says we've drew Leon only once this century in 2003. Maybe my mind's playing tricks on me. I would swear it was more than that, but um, I'll take your word for it, Gaz. I've got to say, uh, Real Madrid is my pick as well, if only because, like you say, we've never really had them. It would be a chance to welcome the European champions to Celtic Park, which we don't get to do very often and really test ourselves against a team that, you know, you can't deny is the best of the best. Another one that would be interesting for me, um, and I've seen a couple of people saying it, I'm not sure if they're actually in it this year or not, but Dortmund is another one for me, if only because I think the away trip would be absolutely class. Um, They're a club that, for my own personal reasons, I've followed for a number of years, and also they were rank rotten against Rangers last season, and they've not got Haaland this season again, so... Um, well, there's an example, right? So there's an example of my point. So Bruce Dortmund on paper, you go off Dortmund, but actually, yeah. you know, they, they were proven people last year and they've lost their star man. So that actually might be a good throw. That's yeah. why I'm saying the big names, not necessarily the hardest opponents. Yeah. Um, also, the cheating answers Frankfurt in it. Yeah, yeah. On. that's a wee bit like, but then that's a wee bit like, like playing <laughs> Grand Theft Auto and putting infinite lives on. <laughs> Responsibility because it's dead easy. And you, they, you know, I'm not saying it's dead easy. I'm, I'm being flippant, but yeah. I think um, the, although the, the danger of that is we've got a team like Frankfurt and we were all shouting about it and cheering and they battled us. So, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's the thing. Polymorphous says here Frankfurt would be ideal because they've obviously ended up, I think, in pot one because yeah. they won the Europa League. So you're missing out on a lot of big names and potentially giving yourself a good chance. But the team from Pot 2 are going to be nearly as good anyway. So are you just, you know, missing out in a glamour tie for the sake of, Aye. you know, a forlorn hope that you might get through? And again, you, you, just because it's a team that's on paper, that it's an easier draw. The reality is that's not always how these games pan out. Mm. You know, and, and I think that, I think that, know that I'm a sort of spokesman for, for Celtic fans, but I just think we should just kind of enjoy who, enjoy who we get. Hope we get the glamour ties, make the most out of it. And the thing is as well, see if you, you get a result like a, like a Barcelona at home or an AC Milan at home and you, you beat them, that feeling is unlike anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, I was with uh, Jared um, from Celtic and Enders podcast a couple of weeks ago and I said one of my favourite ever games as a Celtic fan is when we beat AC Milan 2-1 at Parkhead yeah. at the time. Scott McDonald scored the winner. Yeah. Uh, that That's one of the most amazing feelings ever. And you, you don't get that as much if you beat a Benfica. Yeah. Well, you're happy on the night because you've got the result. I think the memories, these kind of iconic games that are going to last forever in your mind are your huge teams. If we were, if we were to beat Real Madrid and Parkhead, say, this season, you'd be talking about that in 50 years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the sort of importance of it. So I've got that sort of, you know, Paul always says me and Kev are the sort of romantics. Um, yeah. We're certainly hopeless. I don't know if we're, we're hopeless romantics, but... It's, um, fu- it's funny that you say that though, because like I, I did a bit of coverage of the 2012-13 season uh, earlier in in the summer, 
And the reason I did it was primarily because I wanted to talk about the beating Barcelona in November of 2012. Now, I couldn't have told you before I did a bit of research before the show that we actually ended up getting to the last 16 that season. Like, I, I didn't even remember. It was just... Yeah. yeah, so I couldn't even have told you we made it out of the group. It was that memory of that one game that stuck out and that's what you're looking for. To, to bring you on to that topic, uh, what camp are you in? It seems to split into two camps. There are some people who want third place to drop into the Europa League. There are some people who want to go as far as we can go, test ourselves against the best even after the group stage and hopefully get into the last 16. Where, where do you think the benefit lies for Celtic in that? Uh, just when you said me, you started talking about being camped there, I thought I was going to get a hiding after you, I thought I was going to get slagged there. <laughs> but, um, but uh, what camp they fought me? I, I, would, I, would, I always want to aim high. I would take yeah. the last 16 over an extended run in the Europa League, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. I just think the, the visibility it provides the club, and I think to be considered one of the, the best 16 teams in the whole of Europe, when you look at the finances, you look at the standard in other leagues, I think that would be an, an incredible achievement for me. I think Europa League, you know, in saying that, if we're in Europa League, you might fancy it's a good draw to go quite far. Mm. But I still think unless you're winning Europa League, the last 16's better. Mm. That makes sense. I think that's more of an achievement, just given the, the scale of it. Um, I just hope we don't, you know, it's always hard to see you get knocked out of the Champions League, or the Europa League, get knocked out of that, and the Conference League, knocked out of that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's when it starts to... If you get knocked out, get knocked out after the big guns at the, the yeah. top. It's just it's hard to be you dropped down a wee bit. Um, but again, if I'm going to get knocked out, I want to get knocked out clean. I don't want to be staggering and stumbling and yeah. I I if you're going to get knocked out, you want knocked out off Mike Tyson, no Mister. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, that, that's that's kind of that's kind of where uh, my campness is. Urban coach is asking what's going on in my garden. I've got a terrible habit. I thought I'd drift away when I'm thinking about something and it just so happens I face my window so I'm no spying on the neighbours if any of my neighbours are walking <laughs> just I promise and I'm not looking at the washing it's just a bad habit of course so apologies oh, I, thought, I, thought, I thought Paul was out your window telling you what to say no? oh, he's, <laughs> it's like um, what do you call him John Cusack in that film he's got his stereo and he's got his wee bits of hair he's on that he's giving me my notes out there Paul Rapper, that's enough <laughs> we're done, we're done. I know Joe Hamilton says last 16, Mark Fairfield says last 16. I think most people are coming down on that side of things. Aim high and uh, what is it they say? Aim for the moon, you'll fall amongst the stars and that's uh, that's hopefully what we'll do. Uh, Brian, thank you for joining me. As it turned out, we did all right for time, so uh, I'm quite pleased with that. We can always find something to talk about with Celtic. Um, thank you for joining me. Thanks everybody in the comments. Comments have been great today. Um, no weird conversations today. Sometimes I ask for questions in the comments and they're talking about some film or something like that it's really weird but it's actually been a lot of Celtic chat in there which I quite enjoy but just the fact that you are here uh, is great so thank you Brian thank you everybody for watching we will be back again very soon
message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.